So, uh, welcome again. If you're visiting, my name is Trevor Moss, like the stuff that grows on trees. Uh, Nate is out of town, and he asked me to preach on depression, which I was like, oh, thanks, buddy. <laughs> it's sunny outside, and I'm in my study, just like, oh, gosh, depression, darkness. Reflecting on my own life is painful, but I hope uh, it's encouraging. We are going to be looking at Psalm 88. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Psalm 88, or it's printed for you in your bulletin on page 8. And uh, my main point this morning is Christians get depressed, too. All right? So that's, that's basically it. So I'm going to read this text and pray, and then we'll, we'll talk about that. So uh, this is Psalm 88. He says, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more. For they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a whore to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave, or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness, or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Let's pray to God. Our gracious Father, uh, Lord, I thank you that we can come before you honestly, uh, telling you the things that are on our heart, our troubles. Uh, Lord, you know that many of us don't know what to do with our sorrow, with our depression. We feel guilty for being depressed. Um, we're told that we're not allowed to be that way. And so, Lord, I just pray that you'd open our hearts to you this morning, that you'd give us your spirit, and I just ask you for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is the only psalm in the Bible that doesn't end with any ray of hope. I love it. It's so honest. Welcome to Christ Church. Um, you know, you might read this and you think, you know, this isn't supposed to be in the Bible. Christians are supposed to be happy and content and outgoing all the time, no matter the circumstances. And you might be told in the church, if you're depressed, you just need to have more faith. Depression is for weak people. You're not supposed to feel that way. Just cast all your anxiety on Jesus, right? And then it'll be all better. And like I said before, the main thing I want to tell you this morning is that's a big fat lie, and Christians get depressed too. And so the gospel, I was just talking to a friend this week actually, and this is just funny, he called me up and he said he was feeling really depressed at work, and 
So I had the chance to kind of run through the stuff I was learning with him. And, uh, you know, he felt guilty um, for being depressed. And I told him, you know, the gospel doesn't promise a worry-free, happy-go-lucky life where we never doubt God or struggle to believe that he's as good as he says he is or having constant feelings of bliss and being loved by him all the time. This isn't, if you've been a Christian or walked with Jesus for a while, you know that this, this isn't the case. And, you know, ever since Adam and Eve ate that fruit, darn fruit in the garden, we've been, I think, in hiding ever since. We hide how we're really feeling, how we're really doing. Uh, We pretend that we're doing well even if we're not. And actually, you know, this might surprise you or maybe maybe it won't, but I find this tendency to put on a mask, which is usually a smile even when you're not doing well, uh, is actually more prevalent in the church than it is with people who, who don't yet know Jesus. And I know this in my own life. I mean, I am reluctant to tell you uh, if I'm struggling with my kids. I'm more willing to pretend that everything's going great. Uh, oh, they listen to everything I say all the time. That's not true. And I'm, uh, yeah, I'm much more likely to tell you I'm doing well than if I'm doing miserably depressed. Uh, so this morning, I just want to be honest with you a uh, few moments, I want to just tell you my own personal story a bit, and then talk about this psalm. Uh, so let me first, I just want to tell you about the story of planning this church, which has been quite a ride. I think we've been two years in now, this has been going for two years or something, I don't know, I'm terrible with dates. Um, but about four years ago, my wife Kristen and I left seminary and came back here, and for really two reasons. Uh, first is we just, we honestly wanted to get things started here, help out. So we would be with people and uh, gather in my house once a month and just pray and ask God for help and what we want to see him do. But secondly, for the last four months I was in seminary, I couldn't sleep. I was sick all the time. I had no energy. I had constant, constant, constant racing thoughts of condemnation failure, being a loser, I would lie on the ground and honestly just sob, which was kind of a new thing for me. I was like, what the heck is going on? And I felt like the earth was like sucking me to its core, like the stars are like pushing me down. And on top of this, I felt guilty for being depressed. I'm not supposed to be depressed. I'm in seminary, I'm learning about Jesus, God is so good, and I'm depressed. And I was supposed to be happy. So mixed in with this desire to, you know, help get this church planted uh, was the thought, if I left misery, Missouri, it's really hot there, I really didn't like it, um, go back to something I already knew how to do, which is build stuff, uh, building barns, then something would change, and I'd be all better. But it didn't work. So I couldn't, uh, I still couldn't sleep. I would lie in the living room at 2 in the morning, just crying, asking God, what in the world is going on? Why is this happening? What's, what's going on? I thought God, you know, at this time hated me or was punishing me for something. Or I didn't know, I mean, I just didn't know you could be depressed as a Christian. So I would just, I'd wake up, you know, at 6 in the morning, and I would read my Bible and pray, and if I read enough of my Bible or prayed enough, then I wouldn't be depressed anymore, and that didn't work. So, it's like, what the heck is going on? And that's why I love these psalms so much. They're so incredibly honest. 
So I want us to just this morning think about two very basic uh, things. And the first is just simply that sometimes it feels like God is against us. It just does. And uh, now the writer of this psalm, is, as we're reading this, is not doing so well, is he? I mean, he's in the pits, he's frustrated at God, and he's going to let God know it. So there are two different ways that I see this guy express uh, what he's feeling. And the first is he feels like a walking dead person, which is a perfect description for what you're feeling if you're depressed, you're alive, but not really. Very strange. Look at verse 3. He says, For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. So basically, what he's saying is, God, I feel like I'm in hell. This is what he means by Sheol and Pit. That's another name for that. Now, if you've been through a season of depression, you know what this is like. It's like you're stuck, you can't get out, you're in a prison. Uh, you feel dull and dead inside. You don't feel anything except sadness. And one Christian minister who I love writes this. Uh, her experience is every, or theologian, every breath, every thought, every moment of consciousness hurts. Every particle of my consciousness ache, throb, stung. So this psalmist literally feels like he's in hell. But he gets even more explicit uh, than just feeling like he's in hell. Uh, look, he writes, I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave. So he's, he's saying he feels like this crumbling person, kind of like a, a pot, you know, at once it held stuff, held water, it was strong, and now it's old and it's crumbling, it can't hold anything, it's good for nothing. That's what he feels like. And so why not just toss it out? He feels like a walking dead person, uh, and it's clear that he wants to be dead. And he certainly, I mean, he already feels like that. In fact, this I don't know if you know this, but quite a few people throughout the Bible, at one point or another, wished that they were dead. Um, Moses once told God, I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. So, get this. God chooses Moses to lead his people, and Moses wants out. And this is really what Moses is saying. God, if you really favor me, if you really love me, then please kill me. Jonah ran from God and prayed, Lord, let me die. I'd be better off dead. One of God's servants. Job who suffered the death of his spouse, death of his kids, physical pain, boils. This guy got a bad lot. All of his cars and stuff taken away. He said, I'd rather choke to death than live in this body. Leave me alone and let me die. My life has no meaning. One of God's servants. Another prophet, Jeremiah, says, Why did I ever come out of the womb? <laughs> To see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame. And then you have David, you have Elijah, you have Paul. I mean, it goes on and on. And, you know, it, a depressed person often wishes uh, that he or she was dead. And that's why, honestly, depression is the number one cause of suicide. Um, 
But let me tell you something here. Okay, God wants you alive. We want you alive. Don't do anything bad. Um, and I'm just saying that if you are someone that has at one time or another wished you were dead, you're not alone. And so this guy in Psalm 88 feels like he's a walking dead person, but second, he also feels like God hates him. Man, and this is in the Bible. This is one of, you know, this is God's word. This is one of his people. <coughs> Sorry. Whoa, crackle. Um, now, what do you do? I don't know if you've been in this situation before, but what do you do if someone literally hates you or rejects you or just doesn't want to be around you? Well, I think we naturally do two things. We either uh, just stop seeing the person. We don't engage with them. Um, we don't want to be around them. Or we fight. We argue. We go to them. We get red-faced. We're like, what the heck is wrong with you? You're the problem. And so listen to this guy. And I don't want you to picture someone who's piously going before God in a gentle whisper saying, you have put me in the depths of the pit, O oh God. But, oh well, your will be done. This is not what he's saying. He's angry, hurt, disappointed with God, and he vents his pain and frustration. And he points the finger at God. Look at verse 6. He says, you have put me in the depths of the pit, and your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a whore to them. So this guy's ticked off, and he tells God exactly what he's feeling. And he doesn't sugarcoat anything. He doesn't use all these Christian pious words. And, uh, you know, that, though this guy is actually living in his own reality, thinking that God is some angry tyrant, uh, let me tell you why this is actually a sign of a healthy relationship with God. Now, many of you know my wife, Kristen. She is awesome. Uh, if you've spent any time with her, you know she's one of the sweetest, kindest people you've ever met. She's really easy to get along with. She's very pretty. Um, and let me just be honest. One of the main marriage problems that we have is we're too nice to each other. And you say, what? Too nice to each other? I wish I had that problem. But listen, um, and I will tell you that Kristen is the chief perpetrator. <laughs> by far um, but Chris and I we're good at hiding what we're feeling uh, when there's an issue or some underlying tension in our marriage we're good at just sweeping it under the rug you know oh I love you no matter what and part of this is just because this is how we both grew up uh, in my family we never dealt with anything you just pretend like it's okay and you play a board game some of you know what that's like and uh, she came sort of from a similar background. I'm actually more scared of uh, getting into that stuff than she is. Um, but it's much easier to just pretend things are good and avoid how we're feeling. I mean, when there's an issue, we, we both want to just walk away and pretend like it didn't happen. But the longer I've known her, the more I love her. And I want to know her more. I want to know what she's feeling. I want to know what she's thinking. I want to know when she's frustrated. I want to know the real Kristen. Her fears, her doubts, her worries, her flaws, everything. I just want her. So now, I've gotten pretty good at reading her. I've got this, I just talked to someone about mind reading. I've got the same thing. Not really intuitive. And I can sense that there's something going on. Um, 
So, you know, it'll take a while to kind of pry it out of her because she's, she's so nice. She doesn't want to say, oh, you're really frustrating me and you haven't been helping with the kids at all this week. And it stinks. And um, so if she's frustrated, she'll finally tell me, you know, you haven't been helping out with the kids. Um, and now it's, I used to say, I used to be frustrated that she was frustrated at me, <laughs> which would just make everything worse. Um, but now, because I, I want to know her more, I love her, I say, good. Oh, thank you. Why are you frustrated with me? And she'll say something like, well, you haven't been helping out with the kids this week, or your, your clothes are all over the place, or something. You didn't fill up my gas tank. I mean, there's a long list. And, um, but I, I can usually sense that there's something more going on than me just not helping out a bit. And I'll say, now I say, come on, let me have it. Rip into me, please. I want you to rip into me and tell me exactly what you're feeling. And which is kind of fun, I think. <laughs> so she'll reluctantly, you know, do that. I'm like, come on, I'm, I, you're not going to hurt my feelings. Just bring it on. And uh, so she'll tell me. And really what's going on is often, uh, you know, she feels alone. Like I'm doing this thing, raising kids on my own, and I, I need you. And uh, once she tells me how, I'm, how she's feeling, it just changes everything. Oh, my gosh, I'm a terrible husband. I didn't know you were feeling like that. I, I want to help you. And, um, but what I want is I don't want her niceness. I mean, it's, I kind of like when she's nice to me. But I want Kristen. I want her heart. I want what's really going on. And this is exactly what's going on in this psalm. It's not every different, any different with our relationship with God. God doesn't want your pious, nice, formal little prayers. He wants your heart. And that is the kind of relationship he wants with you. He can handle your honesty. He's not some wimp who will just shut down if you let him have it. He holds the stars in the sky. His shoulders are like buff. He's huge. And... Uh, you know, I was visiting this older pastor a couple years ago. I was thinking about this whole thing of being honest with God. You know, some might uh, consider him a conservative because he believes the Bible's true. Um, and I was asking him about prayer, and I went to a study. I'm like, so I've been reading this stuff, and am I really allowed to be honest with God? Like, I can really tell him what's going on. I just, it just felt kind of awkward. I didn't know if I could really do that. And uh, he sort of just laughed at me. You know, he's been pastoring for a long time. And he says, Trev, I think God gets bored with our pious little prayers. And he said, he said, if you walked into my house sometime, and I was talking with the Lord, and then he just laughed a little bit, and said, you would think that I had someone in my office having a heated argument, voices raised, except you would only hear one voice. And he says, I argue, I raise my voice, I ask him why, I cry, I plead, I let him know when I'm upset. And he told me the same thing. He said, God is not uh, after our little Christian niceties. He's after our hearts. And this is so true. Uh, my prayers are sometimes, honestly, seething with venom and brimming with anger. And one uh, depressed Christian minister said, or writes, Prayer uh, to this person is now screaming, writhing, panting, hissing curses through clenched teeth. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. What is this? Hissing curses? What are you talking about? Um, 
But this is what God is inviting. I mean, all through the Psalms, Psalm 77, other Psalms, they're dark. And they're accusing God. But I still know that this might seem a little hollow for those of you who are feeling depressed. You know, the pain and the loneliness is actually real. You feel it in your body. It's, it feels like God's against you. So the second thing I want to tell you, which will be uh, more brief, is that Jesus proves to us that God is for us. And I know that might sound trite if you're struggling. But as I briefly mentioned, uh, that though this guy is showing us that we are free to be honest with God, uh, it doesn't mean that what he's saying is actually true. Um, his depression has colored what he believes to be real. One author writes, During a depression, as during Noah's flood, the good providence of God is hidden from view. All I can see is the storm. All I can smell is the dung of my own ark, and all I can perceive is the very wrath of God. And worse than Noah, I have no companions in my ark, just stinky, contentious inner beasts. Darkness is my only companion. Now, this doesn't mean uh, your feelings aren't real. They certainly are. But the problem occurs when we begin to see God through our feelings. And this is a huge struggle for me, personally. Because you know that Myers-Briggs personality thing, ESTJ, whatever, and whatever. Uh, one of the things is whether you're a feeler or a thinker. A thinker is logical. A plus B. Wow, one plus one is two. Lists. Likes to look at maps. Gets the things on the calendar four months ahead. All that stuff. I am completely opposite. I'm a 100% feeler. No logic whatsoever. <laughs> I go with my gut all the time. Uh, sometimes that's good, and sometimes that gets me in trouble. So I need to be grounded in something that's true, something that doesn't move or change regardless of how I'm feeling. I need verse 18. The psalmist says, My companions have become darkness. And another way of translating this is, Darkness has become my only companion. Now, one of the things that's been the most encouraging for me personally is when I meet someone who has gone through a similar struggle. I don't know if you're like this. If you have a relationship issue, if you're struggling with your spouse, or your kids, or finances, or job, or depression, or whatever, and you meet someone who's going through the same thing, it's just like, oh, I'm not alone. I'm not the only person. You know, And I know what it's like to have darkness as your only compassion. I really like this guy. This guy who wrote Psalm 88. Um, so I can identify with this guy, but what does God have to say? Does he identify with what I'm going through? Does he say, snap out of it? Just believe. If you really belong to me, then you wouldn't feel like this. Stop thinking about yourself, Trev. Well, do you remember uh, Jesus' journey to the cross? Remember, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples the night of his arrest. He's about to die on a cross, and the gravity of what he's about to go through hits him. It hits home. And uh, Mark records that Jesus was greatly distressed and troubled. Jesus was distressed. Now, I think that word is kind of vague. What does distress mean? Um, well, a commentator on this verse uh, says um, that Jesus is in a confused, restless, half-distracted state which is produced by physical derangement or by mental distress as grief, shame, disappointment. So if there's anything that describes depression, this is it. 
And then you know the rest of the story. He's betrayed by Judas, handed over to the authorities, beaten, whipped, spat upon, nailed to a dirty cross. And the Gospels record that darkness covered the land when he was on the cross. And you know his last words from the cross are, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Darkness, death, abandonment, loneliness, rejection, confusion, grief, and shame. This is the cup that Jesus drank. But still, what does Jesus have to say to those struggling with depression? This is what he says. He says, I know exactly what you're feeling. I know you're weary, burdened, racked with guilt and shame, completely lost and undone. I know you rail against my father and feel abandoned. I know because I was abandoned by my father. I was cut off from his love and I was all by myself, hanging on a cross, blood dripping down my cheeks. I couldn't move my body. It was so heavy with grief. And in the moment I needed my father the most, he turned his back on me. But I would rather endure the heaviness of my father's anger and his rejection and that pain so you wouldn't have to endure that kind of pain and rejection and loneliness forever. He would say, you are not who you think you are. You are not what you feel yourself to be. You are mine, a blood-bought son or daughter of God. So even if you don't see him, even if you don't want to see him, even if you feel like he's abandoned you or want to abandon him, even there, he's with you. So thank God that he doesn't look upon us according to our feelings, but instead he sees us through the lens of Jesus' own faithfulness. Our life is hidden, protected, nurtured in God in spite of ourselves. So this is the good news is that Jesus has tasted our sadness and has willingly plummeted himself into the depths of loneliness, agony, despair, helplessness, and confusion. And now the Father can't stop loving you, no matter how you feel. It's a done deal and you can't screw it up. He can't love you any more or any less than he does at this very moment. His love for you runs deeper, far deeper than your despair, and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. And this is reality. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we, uh, we wish that we didn't have to feel uh, these feelings of abandonment or despair We wish we could trust you all the time. We wish we could just bask and live in your delight for us all the time, every day, hour by hour, minute by minute. But, Father, you know that we don't. We struggle. We live in a broken world where our minds don't work right, our hearts don't work right, um, our feelings don't work right. But, Lord, we're so thankful that you're a God who invites us to come to you knowing that we have been made right by Jesus. So, Father, help us uh, to pour out our hearts to you. Give us that security uh, that Jesus has already secured us in your love uh, for us, and there's nothing we can do about that. So, Father, we love you, um, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.